This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. We are back in the world of podcast land. I know. it's It's been a wild week already, and it's only Monday. The weather has changed, Patrick. Yeah, so the wind is blowing, what, 25-ish outside, and we're looking at the Wind River Mountains just outside the studio here. The snow is falling up in the mountains. It's getting colder. They are colder. disappearing quickly. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And so it's it's that time of year. I, I hate to say it, but uh, it is getting cold. And I think ice fishing is going to be upon us here before too long. And the, the liquid water is going away. Yeah. So I do need to talk about PK Lures. They had a big announcement this past week that they opened a new 9,000 square foot facility in Linton, North Dakota. So if you're in North Dakota, stop by, see the PK folks. They invited you to come in and, you know, talk about fishing, pick up some lures if you want, check out the new facility as they grow and expand. And, you know, I was thinking about it on the drive over here, David, it's so cool to see where they were at in 2008 when I started working with them and see where they're at now. I mean, they've just grown 9,000 square foot facility. I, I can't wait. I want to check it out because yeah. I'm actually headed through there. So we'll have to have to make a stop. Stop in and see Kurt and the guys. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So um, I'm really excited today. We've got a special guest, Sarah Trampy. She's on the podcast with us. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's good to have you on. She and her husband own the Sportsman's Journal TV and Cliff Lake Resorts in Ontario. And Really excited to have you on to talk about fishing, talk about a lot of different topics, but you know, I, I think it's just awesome that, you know, podcasting has kind of been able to get Dave and I to meet people we would have never met. I mean, you know, it's like you think about it, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of sportsmen out there and you just would never meet them unless you have a podcast or something like this in the outdoor world. So we're really excited to have you on the show. So first of all, you know, we like to do this. We like to have our audience get to know you a little bit. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. And and you're right. That is how you, I guess, uh, expand and get, you know, know more people. And and podcasts is definitely a way to do that. It's such an awesome thing to be able to talk to new people and and get information on people that normally you wouldn't be able to. So you're right. It is. It's an awesome thing. So I live in Wisconsin currently. Um, We live in Wisconsin six months out of the year during the winter with my husband and we have a three-year-old daughter. And then um, the other six months out of the year, we live up in Northwest Ontario at Cliff Lake Resort. We have been doing Sportsman's Journal, I believe, for four or five years now. This is it's it's actually season eighteen airing this year, but uh, we so we purchased that from Butch Furtman, so he was the old host. And uh, and then we've been managing Cliff Lake Resort since two thousand fourteen. So we've been in the fishing world for a while, for for many years, and then uh, obviously just avid fishermen before that, and getting involved in that. Uh, I actually grew up in Wisconsin on a hobby farm so we had horses and some beef cattle and you know kind of all the random animals I guess that you see at a farm as well we had uh, cats and we had potbelly pigs and we had some goats and chickens and, and things like that so grew up taking care of the animals and having chores and having to go out and feed and water the animals and that sort of thing so that taught me a little bit about responsibility even though I didn't like it at the time but <laughs> the way it is um, and I, I actually there's I have four siblings, so there's five of us, and we're all girls. So I think that that's a different dynamic that you don't hear a lot as well as, you know, five girls is a big thing, and then we had farms. So, of course, we were responsible for doing chores as well. Didn't matter. My dad was like, no, you're old enough. You're going to come out and do it. Didn't matter. He had no no problems with that. And I think that's, I think that's helped me definitely with, you know, coming into the angling world, which is obviously more male dominated, but I just never, I've never been, I've never had that experience where it's like, no, that's something boys do or that's something girls do. My dad's always just been like, nope, you can do it. So come on. Well, Patrick and I both have a, we call them hobby farms with pigs and chickens and cows and horses and the kids get to do lots of chores. And I think, uh, you know, having grown up a little more urban than, than most people would probably peg me as, I think it's good for the kids to get out and, and have to do those chores before school and after school. I mean, it, it teaches a level of responsibility that they don't get anywhere else. 
Right. It, it, I wouldn't have, I mean, you know, well, I, I, I won't, I'm not going to lie. A lot of times in the morning, it was just me rolling out of bed and running to get on the school bus. But, um, but we had the after school chores. And then obviously as I got older, it was like, yes, you, you have to help. And my dad travels and for business and stuff. So, you know, the animals need to be fed and it was drilled in us very much that that's our responsibility and that's what we needed to help do when it was, when it was time. So yeah, I agree. Otherwise you just don't understand it. It's not something that you can grasp. So growing up doing that, what was your favorite animal to raise? Uh, well, we, we had horses. And I, I, I got into the uh, horses for a while. Uh, we had quarter horses and we bred. And, um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the cows, I just kind of kept my distance with. We had, uh, some being from Wisconsin, a lot of dairy farms in the area and the Holstein bulls are more aggressive. And, and so we, that was also ingrained in us from a very young age. We had neighbors with Holsteins and it was like, stay away from the bull. If he's out, you go inside. So I think that just sat in the back of my mind. And so the cows were kind of a scary, I don't know if I want to be around the cows. But, um, so the, the horses were, and then the pot belly pig that we had two, we actually had two pot belly pigs and they were our, like absolute pets. They were our pets that we held around with and they were quite a novelty when we would have friends over as well. So, well, pigs are kind of like dogs in a lot of ways. They, they, uh, you know, I know with my kids, they, they really take a liking to the kids and the kids like them. And so when it comes butcher mm-hmm. time at my farm, it can be kind of a rough day, but that's yeah, right. that. I totally understand that. We would name our animals, and then when it came time to butcher, it was very sad. Yeah, <laughs> that was something to comprehend as well. And that, that's something we don't have a farm now. We don't have. We actually don't have any animals. We're talking about getting a, a cat to start with, just because of our travel schedule and our lifestyle. But um, you know, we talk about farming. I actually had a conversation with my daughter on the way to swim lessons tonight about farming and what farmers do, and they provide us with food. And you know, she just was looking at me like, "No, we go to restaurants for food, or we go to the grocery <laughs> store." So. We have to work on that with her as well, where where food actually comes from. <laughs> no, I think that's really cool. It, that's something David and I are trying to teach our kids with, you know, the farming and the hunting and the fishing of, you know, procuring your own food and um, just kind of mm-hmm. showing them what the lifestyle is all about. But, you know, when we visited on the phone, I, I wanted to ask you about this. I was shocked to find out that you lived in Thermopolis, Wyoming, of all places <laughs> for a few years. So tell me, tell me that story and how you ended up in Thermopolis. Uh, so I, I had a friend um, that went to college with me. Um, her parents lived in that area here locally. I went to a local college, Ripon College. Her parents had come from here and they had actually moved out west. They lived in Colorado. So she came back to school I'm in the area where her parents were raised and I met her and then um, she uh, ended up in Wyoming after college and and had a baby. And so I came out with her one summer um, and hung out with her for the summer. And I just, I fell in love with the area. It was absolutely beautiful, made some some good friends. So I ended up going back out after college and um, spending a couple of years there. And, And like I told you, when we talked, the mountains, they do, they get under your skin. They're so beautiful. And just, there's something about them that when you're not there, you miss, you really do. They're just beautiful. Uh, there, there's a saying, Sarah, the, the mountains are calling and I must go. And it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got hooked on the mountains so in 2004, started working for an outfitter and I haven't looked back. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what got you hooked to be an outdoors person? What was kind of that crucible moment? Uh, I, I, you know, growing up on a farm, I think you're, you're just outside a lot and, uh, growing up in the eighties when all, you know, the electronics wasn't a thing. I mean, we were outside constantly, um, on our bikes and playing and, and doing things we probably shouldn't have been doing, but, um, constantly outside. And so I just, I loved being outside. And then, um, when I actually did a summer, um, with my friend from Colorado, um, I wrangled, it was a guide on horseback to garden of the gods and being, being able to be outside and it was long hours and it's hard work, but it was like, Oh, it's outside. That's so nice. And every day is different. You're not doing the same thing. And I think that was such a big thing. You can find exhilaration in all sorts of things and there's not a monotony. And I think that was such a huge thing. Um, just learning like, Oh yeah, the outdoors, that's right. That's, you know, and it keeps calling you back and it rejuvenates you. It really does. Yeah. And you talked about, you know, you, you were, kind of into fishing a little bit when you were growing up, but you didn't really get into it until you were older. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you got into fishing and who you, who your fishing mentor is? Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I talked about my family had a cottage and we would go up there about once a year. And, and so I would fish, I would dabble in fishing and we had a little rowboat and that was about my experience growing up. And then, um, when I lived in Wyoming, I had a friend that 
took me out trout fishing and he taught me how to tie a lure on. So I didn't know how to tie a lure on before I met my husband, but that was about all. But my husband really, um, when we met, um, we just connected, I think, on that aspect of the outdoors and fishing. And um, so actually one of our first dates was he took me wading in the river fishing and I caught, I caught my first walleye. And uh, it was just, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I saw a snake and I'm not a big fan of snakes. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do the wading of the river type of thing. But, but um, I really liked it. And then, you know, just every time we would we would go out, it'd be like, oh, let's go fishing and let's do that. And he introduced me to this whole world of fishing that I didn't know existed and different species and different techniques. And, um, you know, so we just expanded from there. I would say that he is absolutely my mentor um, with, with the fishing and the angling thing. Um, I didn't have parents that were into fishing or that wanted to fish. And, and he was, he's very, very passionate about it. And he's very knowledgeable and he's very good at it. And, uh, he was at the time, you know, when you're getting to know each other and you're starting dating, he was very patient in teaching me. Obviously that patience level flows as you date more. Uh, but, uh, very good at mentoring to start with. And that's how I, that's how I was introduced to it. We, uh, we were dating for two years and I was allowed to come up to Canada on the guy's Canadian trip, uh, but he said, "Well, you have to do a trial first And really, what he wanted, so he went for the guide trip, and then I came up for the second week, and he got to stay in Canada for two weeks. But that was that was just eye opening for me on the opportunities of fishing, and it was just amazing. The, the week was amazing. The fisheries are amazing. It was crazy, and I think that was really what got me hooked. So I have to circle back to something. So you're saying you don't like snakes? I mean, you're probably the first person I've ever interviewed that doesn't <laughs> like snakes. <laughs> No, I'm with no. you. Oh, snakes no. are nasty. Yeah, no, I was not a big fan. And we waited, and, and I think he had waders on, and I think I just had shorts on, of course, right? And it's like, okay, we're going in this river. And right as we walk in, there's this snake that slithers past my, my feet, and I'm like, ah, uh, we're going to do what now? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I, yeah. I have to say I'm impressed you went ahead and, and got in. So that's, that's good. And you caught some fish. So, so that's even better. Um, one of the things you, you told me, um, on our call that we had was that you're a basketball player. And so I want you to talk a little bit about that because that's my background too. I love basketball. Talk about how, you know, that kind of plays a role in your life, maybe, you know, in business and, um, as an angler and being competitive, you know, how does basketball play a role in your life? I think, you know, uh, we started, I talked about, you know, uh, a little bit about back, you know, when I was in, <laughs> when I was in middle school, it wasn't, that's when I started middle school. There wasn't, you know, all this league ball and AAU and things like that for younger kids. So I started in seventh grade. Um, that was the first opportunity and I, I really liked it. It was just something that I could put my focus on and my energy on. And then I just, you know, continued to, to stay. And I was, I was fortunate enough that um, my parents were pretty supportive of that. That's, you know, kind of where I wanted to focus my energy. And so they would, you know, travel, take me to the traveling leagues. And this is a lot of driving, as you know, with kids that are in all sorts of sports and that sort of thing. And so they just um, let me focus on that. And I think a big thing is the team aspect of it. And, and I didn't, I think, you know, reflecting on it as you, as you grow is teaches you so much more than you might've learned at the time, because at the time you're so linear focused on what you want to do and winning the game or, you know, being a starter or that sort of thing. But when you look back and reflect, it's like, Oh yeah, the, the team aspect of it was such a big thing. I'm really good friends with, you know, some of my teammates still today back in, that, you know, we were on the same team in seventh grade. And um, I think that's such a, such a huge thing. And it teaches you the teamwork and the aspect of it. And then also the drive, the drive of if you want to get better, you have to keep at it. You have to get up after you fall down, you know, after you after you get injured, you have to suck it up and, and keep going. Because if you're injured and you want to just say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm tired, or I don't feel good, or I'm hurt, and you want to sit on the bench, well, somebody's going to keep practicing, and somebody's going to get better, and they're going to take your spot. And I think that was a big lesson that I learned as well through through basketball. Absolutely. So do you see some similarities between the competition in basketball and the competition in fishing? You know, you mentioned that if you're hurt and you take some time off and somebody else, you know, works through their injury and, and practices that much harder, they just get that next level. I think there's a similarity in fishing and competition. Have you seen that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think especially in today's uh, world with with social media and instant instant content, you know, you're out fishing and you can throw something on Instagram or, or Facebook or YouTube like right away. And if you are sidelined for a while, there's somebody that's going to replace you. And, and our, our focus is so it's funny because our, our episodes are aired. We film in the summer 
Um, and then obviously ice fishing, we film in the winter, but um, they don't air until the following year or, you know, the following season. So we were filming 2021 and our episodes will air in January of 22 for open water. And we've had people comment on our social media and YouTube, like, well, we like current stuff better because you can find current right now. You can find current any time of the year on those social media stages. And so I think it definitely, if you are like, well, I'm just frustrated and I want to take a break in, in the back of your mind, you have to be aware that that might put you several steps back, no matter how hard you work to get to where you were. It's just the name of the game. Yeah, I can, I can attest to that on our sheep film. You know, that was my first uh, exposure to kind of TV editing and the films out there. We just only put it on YouTube and published it, but still we filmed in, in August of 19 and that launched in June, July of 20. Right. And I mean, the editor was going through, we had nine hours of film and they were taking that nine hours of film and distilling it down to, you know, they'd edit between two to two to three minutes a day, eight hours worth of editing Mm -hmm. came up with three minutes of footage on TV. So, yeah. You know, when you're watching, sitting down watching one of those programs, whatever it is, you know, if you're watching a 30 minute slot, you know, that's, that's a couple of weeks worth of somebody's time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. And, and it is, it's, and I, I just, it's so, it's that, that instant gratification that's out there right now. And, and that's, you know, it's fine and it's great to be current and it's great to keep up and it does, it continues to drive, it drives, you know, myself as an angler. It's like, well, I should be out fishing. And, and I, I told Patrick, I said, it was, re- it's really hard. We sold our boat. You know, right now everything is hard to get. Products are hard to come by and um, new boats are hard to come by. And we always, we sell our boat every other year. And this was the year we were selling our boat, but we don't put it up usually until we come home. And we had someone actually reach out to us and say, Hey, are you selling your boat? We want it. You know, I want it when you get back. And so we sold it right when we came back from camp. And so we're, we're boatless and the weather is beautiful and and you're seeing all these people out fishing and it's really hard to be like, Oh man, I can't go out and do it. And, and, and then also is in the back of your mind, like, is that a setback? Is it setting me back? Do I not look as professional as I need to? Cause I'm not fishing right now. So it's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And you know, with social media and everything else, everyone wants to, compare themselves constantly to one another you know it's Mm -hmm. like you you have that kind of boat and i have this kind of boat or maybe your boat's 10 years old and mine's brand new you know there's there's a lot of that and i yeah that's why i try to stay away from that stuff as much as i can but i get it like the pressure is there especially with you because you've got a show you know the expectations are much higher that you know people are like yeah you got to have the new boat you got to have the new electronics Mm -hmm. you got to have this and you got to have that and so i'm sure that's a challenge and so we'll jump into some more here in just a second but uh david i wanted to talk to you i came in and uh, the the studio here and Bow Spider, it looks like things are expanding a little bit. So, what are you guys up to? Uh, we are we are currently still in the thralls of construction. Have been since uh, this time. Well, actually, August last year we started, but we were, had 400 square feet and we're moving into 3,200. So we need the space really bad, and it's nice to finally see it coming together. But it's you know right now manufacturing like garage doors are five months out. Go go order a garage door. Go order a, go order a fridge or or windows. Right, so it's not a great time to be building a facility as far as infrastructure. But we are we are seeing the finish line approaching, and it's going to be really nice to have the square footage, and we can get some more staffing, and just have have room for the inventory so that we don't have to be uh, you know bouncing out of stock all the time. Yeah, and so you guys have been selling a lot of bow spiders. Um, the holidays are coming up, everybody. So if you've got somebody in your life that's a bow hunter and they need the solution of being able to pack their bow without having to, uh, you know, carry it around in their hand or they maybe they want to be able to have it transport a little bit better in their pickup truck, go to bowspider.com, pick, pick one up for them, and then you can also buy extra receivers which are a great idea so that they can put them in various places and they don't just have one get that for the holidays and all the birthdays that are happening this fall. Cause I know there's a ton of those going on right now. And keep an eye on the website. We are frantically working on new products. I'm not going to say when or where they'll drop, but <laughs> we, we have prototypes in the works. And as soon as I'm iron out all the kinks, we'll have a, a new product or two. All right. So again, go to bowspider.com to get your bow spider bow packing system. So Sarah, you had told me that at one point you were going back to school and you were going to go to med school and then everything changed. And now you're guiding fishing. You've got this, you know, TV uh, deal, you know, and all this going on. So tell us the story of how that came to be. So my husband uh, took a job working for the DNR in Northern Wisconsin, not my husband at the time. 
but um, and I was doing uh, like financial planning, insurance, and taxes and things like that. And it just really wasn't my scene. I wasn't real comfortable um, with it. So I knew I wanted to change there. And I, I circled back. I went to college and, and got my pre-med and I circled back to that. Like, okay, I'm going to go to medical school. I'm going to do it. This is, it's, it's now or never. And so I told him, I said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, okay. Um, and he took his job up north and then um, he started doing a lot of uh, fishing and a lot of, he, he started a guide business up there and I would come up and see him, you know, between studying and, and things like, uh, so, so I was studying for my MCAT and, you know, taking the prereqs that I needed to retake and, um, or that I hadn't taken. And, uh, and then I would go up and fish and, um, he got the opportunity, the opportunity came, came about, um, for us to start managing Cliff Lake Resort at the same time that I had applied and got accepted to medical school. And so him and I had to have a conversation about if we do this, we're going to go on totally different ends of the spectrum. You're going to be up in Canada and I'm going to be going down south to medical school. And how is this going to work? It's not. I mean, we had to be honest with ourselves. Like our relationship isn't going to work. So, you know, which direction do we want to travel in? And, and so I said, well, I'll defer medical school for six months and or a year and see which is the best way and what we want to do and where my thoughts are at that point. And I ended up starting to do work with him with the camp and, I really liked it and really enjoyed it. And so it just kind of was, it really wasn't even a hard decision at the time after I deferred. The, the first deferral was a really hard decision. And then after that, it was just like, no, we're going to continue this. We had met uh, Butch. We knew that we were going to uh, be purchasing the, the TV show. So we knew that Sportsman's Journal was coming. Um, this was in 2014. So we knew that we were going to be doing the Sportsman's Journal. And so it was just like, well, we could have this the fishing show. And I did not expect to be on the fishing show. Honestly, at the time I was like, well, I could be like a camera person. I could kind of be behind the scenes. I could travel with you. I could do this, I could do that. But I knew that, that I wanted to be involved with the fishing. It was, it was really something that we both enjoyed and it was something that we both liked. And so honestly, it did it. It wasn't even that hard of a decision. It was just kind of like, okay, let's keep on the, the path that we're on. And, and then when we started our first filming episodes and Tyler was like, you have to be on the show. You're the, you know, kind of the, the star you need to be on the show and I was like no I don't I don't know no I'm good you're like no you need to be on the show you're gonna be on the show and so that was kind of an adjustment for me I wasn't prepared for that but that's how it that's how it ended up with with me deferring medical school and us deciding that fishing was going to be our career so Sarah they they say that uh, if you do what you love you never work a day in your life and so I'm mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that you know you you followed your dream and and are, are chasing the fishing show in the resort but tell us a little more about Cliff Lake Resort. So Cliff Lake Resort is in Northwest Ontario. We are, so if you, if you look at a map and you see International Falls, Port Francis, we're 200 miles due north of there. Um, we're about an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer, two hours from the border of Manitoba. So we are very, very far Northwest Ontario. Ontario is huge. It's a huge province. Um, you know, it goes all the way east. And so we are very on the Northwest side of it. And uh, Cliff Lake is uh, just shy of 6,000 acres. Our it's a very deep lake. Um, we our deepest point is 100. I think it was eight feet this year. Um, but uh, and the mean depth is about 35, 38 feet. So it's a deep lake. We have lake trout, uh, smallmouth bass, musky northern walleye, whitefish. Um, so definitely the big five species. It's a it's a beautiful beautiful place. It's a beautiful lake. It's 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 clear water. I love fishing clear water. And then we're in the heart of a ton of other lakes. And because of what we do, we get the opportunity to go to other lakes a lot and visit other lakes as well so um, we fish lake of the woods quite a bit uh, we have a friend that's also a sponsor um, that we partner with we go see him several times a year and so we've gotten you know the aspect of lake of the woods as well with big trophies and we're, we're not far from lax and so it's just an absolutely gorgeous area and fantastic fishing and, and cliff lake is a special place for us and that was my first trip to canada was cliff lake so we'll always hold a special place that's awesome how do, how does someone book a trip with you guys like if if someone's listening to this and they're like man i gotta get up there and go catch a huge muskie up there or whatever it might be uh what's the best way for them to look you up to book a trip sure excellent question so cliffleagueresorts.com um, that's our website you can start there and then all their conference all our contact information is right on there. Um, and then, of course, we have the, the social pages, Facebook and Instagram. And then we have some stuff. It's a little bit older on YouTube um, just because of, of the border closure and, and things like that. We haven't updated those social pages quite as much. But uh, but the website is, is a great resource to start. So you also mentioned there's some bear hunting that my ears perked up on? Yes. 
Yes, we do. We do black bear hunts. Um, I'm the guard of the black bear hunting. So that's my, that, that's my baby, the project of black bears. Uh, we actually are going to be doing our first spring hunt um, next spring. So 2022 will be our first spring hunt. Um, they didn't offer spring hunts until I believe 2018 is when they changed the law and offered spring hunts. We said we were going to wait a year. Maybe it was the other way around. I don't remember how, when they passed it, but we were going to wait a little bit and then the border closed. So, um, so next year will be our first spring hunt and then we'll also have our fall hunt as well. We're going to do two weeks in spring, three weeks in fall. We're not, um, we're not like the huge trophy black bears that you get out west, but we have a lot of bears, a lot of, a lot of bears and average sizes for us is probably about 250, 250 pounds. So are you rifle hunting or archery hunting on these guided hunts? So it's, it's considered semi-guiding. It is over bait. Um, in, in a stand, I, our highest success rate um, through my guiding experience is shotguns or bows. Um, you can rifle hunt, but the stands are very close. Uh, the Northwest Ontario, it's called the bush up there, the forest, it's, and it's called the bush, and it's very, very thick. And you put your stands um, in like little clearings, or you clear out a little a little area that's close to water. But uh, the bears don't like to come out in big openings they're very very leery they're very shy and so that's why you know when you have it in a thick area you have a higher percentage and uh, so shotgun and bow it's our stands are anywhere from 15 to 25 yards from probably stand to barrel and and some are shot a little bit further out you can see that through the trees in some spots but that's about that's about usually the distance so between bear hunting and fishing guiding work how much how much of the year are you spending guiding clients so I do, I do solely the bear stuff. Uh, my husband does most of the fishing guiding. So if I'm talking just bear, so next year we'll be, uh, we're, at, we're adding our two weeks onto spring. So normally it's about uh, four weeks out of our six month season where I'm guiding bear and the bear guiding is, it's very involved. I mean, we're, we're baiting every other day. Uh, we start baiting August 1st, season opens August 15th. Um, we're baiting every other day. It takes usually between five and six hours to bait all of our stands. And then if I have hunters in camp, I'm usually coming back and talking to my hunters and then some I take out. I, I take everybody out the first day and walk them in and then um, some drive themselves. Some of the rest of the week, I usually, if people don't have bears by Tuesday or Wednesday, I start taking people out and walking them back in and things like that. Um, the highest percentage is usually when I walk some of the end of the stand just because the bears are used to my scent and then I cover theirs as I walk in and out. Um, but, so it's a it's a good percentage. I don't, I don't know what the math would be on it, but... Bear, bear, bear guiding is very involved. You guide a lot of people, and I know a few guides myself, and they talk about some of their favorite memories being a guide. So what is one of your favorite moments or memories that sticks out in your mind, either fishing or bear hunting and doing the guiding? You know, there are. There's, there's quite a lot. I actually had one just this last year. So the, the border opened. Um, they announced in uh, middle of July that they were going to open the border to American tourism. Um, up into Ontario uh, starting August 9th. So we knew that we were going to be having our bear hunts. And so we called our bear hunters. They had they had not been able to come here before. Um, so we had the people booked. They rolled over. So And, and the anticipation was you're probably going to have to roll over another year. We didn't foresee the border opening when it did. So, um, you know, we talked to our bear hunters and, and we had a group in camp. And they had come up in 2019. And the, the year that they hunted, um, it was just a bad it was a bad year. It was very, very wet. A lot of berries in the bush. The year, the, the week that they were hunting was just, the weather was not good and it just basically rained all week. So they didn't see very many bears. And so they came back. A lot of people's cell phones don't work when they come up to Northwest Ontario. And I had um, one guy that cell phone worked and I gave another guy, we have one, we have a camp cell phone. So I gave this other guy a camp cell phone and there were three that I took out. And the middle guy, he, I said, you're just going to have to wait. And so of course he's the one who had the bear the first day. And he said, I've been sitting here since I shot my bear at three o'clock going over and over in my mind, you know, what, what happened, what went wrong, what, you know, he said, I went, I got down and I looked for blood and I didn't see any, and I'm just panicking. Like maybe I didn't make a good shot. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see, you know, and it, by this time it's pitch black. And so we said, okay, well, we're going to, you know, gather up all the stuff that we need to do. And we went out, and, you know, we, we pushed from where he had shot and we weren't picking up any, any blood or really any signs. And, um, so my husband and I have recovered bears off the same site. So we know that they usually go downhill. So I said, well, let's all go back to the, the shot site and let's all just kind of pivot and we're going to turn and head down the hill. And my husband found first blood. And when we found the bear, the guy was just elated. Um, he, the, just like this happy, you know, just, and he's like, Oh my gosh. And, you know, he just gave me the biggest hug and couldn't believe it. 
so excited. And he said, how do you do that when we're just sitting in the stand all day and you have no idea what we're doing? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but it was, that was really memorable. Um, and it was, it was probably about a 400 pound black bear that he had got. And so it was a pretty awesome feeling. Oh, that's, that's a cool story. And I think you'll find as the spring opens up now, uh, spring bears are a lot better to eat. They taste a lot better. So Okay. Yeah. That, that's good to know. I don't know a lot about the spring. So tell us just a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that you're a mom and you're running a business and you're busy. <laughs> so yep. how do you balance being, you know, a parent and doing a TV show and doing a guide service and doing all these things that you're doing? I mean, how do you, how do you find a good balance with that? That's an excellent question. And I know you guys experience the same thing and you guys are doing a lot of stuff too with, with families. A lot of it. So we, we incorporate her into a lot of what we do. Uh, we do trade shows. She comes to our trade shows with us. She is now, so she'll be almost, well, she's, she'll be three and a half. She's three and a half in November. Um, and trade shows will start in January. So she's a little bit older where you can't just sit her in the 10-foot booth and say, entertain yourself. So this year might be a little bit more challenging to do that. But um, we try to incorporate her into a lot of what we do. And um, we rely on our parents to help us out with that. Three of the four parents are retired, so they help watch. So they'll come up to actually camp and help watch her so that we can get our work done and, and what we need to do. And then just like when we go out, you know, scouting for a day to see what's, what's going to happen out on the water and things like that, we take her with us. So she's been in the boat and she started in the boat in April. She's been in the boat through October, but uh, we also listen to what she has to say. My mom, dad was very into the outdoors and he scoured my mom. She doesn't want really anything to do with that hunting or fishing aspect because she was dragged out at 13 duck hunting and it was cold and she didn't like it. And so that's ringing in my ears of, you know, when Reagan is our daughter's name, when Reagan is done, when she says, I want to go home, we go home. So that's hard for us to balance out as well. But, uh, you know, when there's a hot bite and, <laughs> and your child is like, yeah, I'm done. Like, oh, that's really? <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, you know, that's a balance and it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing for, for parents to do. And, and I think it's hard in any industry or anything that, that parents are involved in is balancing it out with their kids and not having that parent, that mom guilt. You know, mom guilt is such a real thing. And I'm sure it's dad guilt too. But when she, you know, she gets upset. This year, she's a little bit better. Last year, she was very, very clingy because last year our, our parents couldn't come up when we were at camp. So we did filming, but we uh, had a different arrangement. We had somebody else watching her and she would be like, don't go, don't go out, don't go do this, stay, you know, stay with me. And, and it was almost like we don't want her to not like fishing because she'd be like, you have to go fishing, you know, in this voice that was so sad, <laughs> it should break your heart because they're like, yes, I have to go work. And um, so that was, it, it is, it's a, it's a challenging balance, but I think we involve her as much as we can. Um, but we also try to listen to her needs as well over ours. And I'm not going to lie, we do a lot of, we bribe. We, we do a lot of bribery with, well, if you stay out for a little bit longer, maybe you can have this treat. <laughs> we try that. <laughs> so far, it's working. So, Sarah, I've run into se se several of the similar issues. You know, trade show two years ago, I had a, a one-year-old and a, a seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually went one weekend solo and actually managed because the one-year-old was in the playpen in the 10 by 10 and the seven-year-old, I turned him loose with his bow and, you know, they had a kid's oh, course sure, yeah. 50 yards away and he, he's entertained for eight hours. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the one-year-old's pretty, pretty manageable in a booth, even by yourself. Well, this year, my wife and I both went and we attempted to take both the kids, you know, at, at two, he was one and a half. So now he's two and a half and you know, mm -hmm. nine and uh we we brought grandma along and it was uh yeah they'd come to the booth for an hour or two and it was both yep. of them were ready to be gone so i wish you luck but as they get a little older it, it gets more and more difficult you can't just yeah here here's your here's your play toy and here's your bottle and yeah. go back to sleep but so. i can encourage both of you saying on the other end now that my kids are getting bigger they can actually be an asset now. Like this past weekend, cutting and splitting wood, I had my, my three daughters helping me and they were a huge help. I mean, I was able to go block wood and then they took care of all of the splitting with the hydraulic splitter and putting it into the trailer and doing all that stuff all on their own. So mm -hmm. at some point the tables turn a little <laughs> bit, but you're just not there yet. That's all. No, we're not. Yeah. That's what my husband keeps saying. Well, she can sell trips, you know, she can sell trips. And, and actually, um, she actually will be incorporated into Sportsman's Journal. Um, 
but it's very difficult. It's funny. I'll give you a little teaser. So we are, we did an episode. I'm doing a solo musky episode and we have Reagan in the intro to explain because, you know, we only had one person to help us. So we have one person to be camera person. Well, somebody has to watch her. We don't have a babysitter and a camera person. So daddy gets to stay back. And, and um, so we had Reagan in the intro and Tyler was kind of like, okay, Reagan, this is what we're going to talk about. So she's three. There's no prepping. There's no talking about what she wants. And, and so we start out the episode, you know, in the intro of what we're going to do. And she, she looks at me and she says, you forgot to say I love you. <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff that's, um, that, that's gold. Yeah. You can't script that. Yeah, yeah. So, and my husband's like, uh, and I'm like, hey, it's good. Well, that's what we're going to, we're just going to go with it. And he's like, okay. He's a very much a perfectionist. And he's like, oh, and I'm like, no, she's good. It's, that's what we're going to go with. And that's what it is. So, but it was, it was really funny because he's like, I didn't expect her to say that. I'm like, I didn't either, but we're going to do it. All the parents are going to be like, oh, that's awesome. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah. So what, what tips do you have for parents that are involved in the outdoors quite a bit? I mean, what would you tell them as far as taking their kids? You gave us some, but, uh, do you have any other tips? Yeah, we, um, we are, when we go out, we are completely supplied with snacks and beverages and uh that's a big thing and then we actually entertain her with soft plastic she calls them her little buddies and we let her pick out you know uh five to ten little buddies that she can play with and she plays with them for hours with water you know kids are obsessed with water with this little aquarium and we fill it up and she plays with it and then she'll ask to dump it out fill it back up and you know but you know just you know i think directing your kids on something that is going to entertain them in the boat um we have a tab she has a little tablet and that's like last last resort, last case scenario of what we want to, we want to hand her, you know, we try to entertain her with all sorts of other things beforehand. And usually Tyler and I have a, a, you know, kind of a conversation beforehand of whose expectation it is to be in charge of her when you're out in the boat, because it is, you know, when you catch something that's utter chaos going on and somebody's got to make sure that your kid's not going to fall out of the boat or whatever she's not going to do. And uh, so we just kind of have an expectation like, okay, I'll be in charge of her today and I'll watch and, and, I think that having that talk and having those expectations out ahead of time, it prevents a lot of arguments between the parents, you know, as well. And then, you know, your, your child is safe and, and for the most part being entertained. It is, it's tough when, when you're out uh, fishing and you're on a, you, the other person's on a good bite and you're like, man, I wish I could be, you know, doing it as well. And we'll cast together at the same time sometimes, but for the most part, she's still pretty young that we both, one of us is usually paying attention to her, but she, she'll tell us like, I want to fish. So we'll get her, her pole rigged up. We'll get her rod rigged up and she'll fish for a while. And then she caught a 24 inch walleye all by herself. I have no idea how that happened. Tyler and I were both like, there was so much slack in the line 15 times <laughs> that we cannot believe that that fish stayed on. Uh, but in, in, um, and then she said, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm good. I caught my big fish. I'm done. So and then that was, you know, she was done fishing and, and she let us, she let us continue to fish for a while, um, which was great, but she had a blast you know, just being able to experience it. So, it's, you know, some, you have to take your focus off of what you want to do. Sometimes to put it back on what, what they want to do. Cause you don't want them to sour on it. You know, we don't want her to be 10 and be like, I don't ever want to go out in the boat with you again. I don't like it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's a lot of it. Well, and it's a risk you take. I mean, some kids, you know, I, my boy, he's just not as into it. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of it has to do with, I can't keep his attention <laughs> mm-hmm. fast enough yep. even if we're over like a bunch of perch or bluegill it's really hard to keep him entertained he catches five or six and he's like okay i just yeah. want to play in the live well or i want to throw the yep. worms on the floor or whatever yep. but i mean it, it is something that you just kind of you work with and you figure out but another thing i wanted to ask about just kind of segueing a little bit but i mean you probably get some people that come up for the guided experience that have their spouses with them or someone who's really maybe not as into it what mm-hmm. what steps do you take to kind of talk them into maybe going out on the water and trying something different? Uh, great question. So I think I think if somebody has to be talked into it, you you, you kind of got to find out why. Um, so you know you kind of start asking questions, and I think like a lot of a lot a lot of hesitancy. Honestly, a lot of hesitancy that we have during sports shows when we talk to the wives that want to come up are the bug situation. I don't want to go out with the bugs. I don't want to go out in the bugs. So, you know, you just, you, you kind of have to break down the why, why don't you want to go out um, and, and just reassure what's going to happen with that. Why um, some of them other, you know, another thing is when nature calls, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, 
you know, so you just kind of talk people through, you know, what their hesitancy or, or, or what that is that's going to challenge them. And then you, you, sometimes you have to look at the spouse and be like, you have to be ready to, to come back in when they're done um, for whatever reason. Like inclement weather is another big thing. You know, I don't want to be out in the pouring rain. Nobody really does. I mean, I don't right. love being out in the pouring rain, right? Um, and that's all that's all your gear. And, you know, if you don't have the right gear and you're just learning and you don't want to spend the money on the gear, then you just have to be prepared for it. Um, but I think, you know, we tell people the fishing up there is, is very different um, than down here. And as far as in the States, I think just mainly because of pressure, there's a lot more pressure down here, um, a lot more populated, um, you know, or smaller lakes, a lot more houses, things like that. And a lot more, you know, people are very, very protective of their spots and, and who's on their lake and who's using this or who's doing that. And, and you feel that. You feel the tension when you're out, you know, when somebody else is out close to you or, you know, or whatnot. And up there, um, it's not as, it's not the same. There's not as much pressure. So, and I think, you know, it's like everyone at camp is, they're excited to see, especially new people that are getting out. So, you know, just explain like, you're going to have a good time. You're going to catch a big fish and, you know, or a nice fish or a big fish, you know, is relative. Um, to what you're used to catching and, and just go out and try it. I mean, that's the worst you can, the worst you can say, just go out and try it. And the cabins are nice. And if you don't like it, you come back in and stay in the cabin or walk around, you know, around camp. So, but I think getting to the root of kind of the hesitation is a big thing. So this is one of my favorite questions to ask any hunter or angler. And it's, uh, if you could only fish for one species and one method, what would it be and why? <laughs> oh, this is such a loaded question. I <laughs> I um I don't know. Uh, yes, I've seen this going around. Gosh, um, if I could only fish fish for one species, I would probably pick muskie. I love muskie fishing. The adrenaline rush is just incredible. And muskie, you you get you know the the better you get, the more chances you have at catching them and and landing them and bigger fish and stuff like that. Um, muskie fishing is, isn't isn't more luck. You know, it's it's a lot of skill is involved with it. And I mean, I still have so much to learn in the musky world as well, but I think musky, and if I had one lure, I would say a bucktail. I can cast them pretty, I can cast, I can cover water, I can cover water fast. Bucktails are pretty universal for every season, and um, it's something that I can cast all day without getting exhausted. So I would, I would, that's what I guess what I would say is musky and, and bucktail. But man, that, it's even painful to say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you like torture. That's uh, that's what I've decided based on your answer yeah. is that you like to torture yourself. <laughs> um, now going back to that, what is your go-to musky lure? Um, yeah, I guess I, I would have to stick with. So it used to be suic. I, I love suic. I love the way that they work. Um, and you can cover water with them too. You know, it's a, a jerk bait. Um, but they are hard to work. And if you get one, you know, if you're used to a weighted suic and you pick up an unweighted one by accident, you know, the action is different and, and that could be tough. And, and suics are easy for to fish, fish to spit and they're hard to do a figure eight. Suics are hard to do a figure eight. For me, they are. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'd have to stick with a bucktail. I'd, I'd stick with number eight. We have a, a lot of success with bucktails, um, and we fish, you know, various bodies of water. And, and I guess if I had to pick one and that was all I was allowed to do, it, it'd probably be a number eight bucktail. Well, I know there's a lot of controversy about color. What's your what's your go-to color? Um, on, on cliff where we fish, um, natural, it's clear water. So natural color black is, is a big thing. Black is silver. Um but if I was fishing universal, I'd probably say probably gold, gold or fire tiger because I can cover. Those are good choices. I know out here in the West for tiger muskies, you know, you talk about some of your favorite things to catch. I can't go <laughs> with anything other than a topwater for a tiger muskie, like a whopper plopper or something like that. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. The, watching those fish explode out of the water is something else. And so we agree on the species for the most part, but I, I think you <laughs> like su pain and suffering because I've, I've maybe, maybe, maybe shed a few tears over a few muskies that I've lost right next to the boat. It's, yeah. it's like the worst thing when you fished for seven, eight hours and you finally get yeah. one to commit and actually bite your lure and then they come off. Yeah. You're like, no. Well, yeah. I have, I have a heartbreaking story about a, like probably it's, it's, it was probably a 51, 51 inch fish. I, we were fishing, came around a corner, uh, cast at a, a rock rubble wall and probably the second crank of my lure, I set the hook. Um, and I felt it slip and I reeled back in and the fish was still there. And so I kind of said, look, it's all on video so I can watch it again. Right. It was all on film. So I can watch it again to see what was going on. And I'm reeling in and I, I can't get any traction. I can't get anything. And I'm just thinking to myself, just don't give any, don't give any slack in the line. Don't give any slack in the line. And my husband walked up 
and he's probably gonna he's very upset with me that I'm sharing this. He walked up and he was trying to tighten my drag. He actually went the wrong way and my drag went loose and my front tip went slack and I reeled up my bucktail with no fish and, and that fish came <laughs> charging at the boat, head shakes. I mean, you could see the whole length of the fish and uh, and it was just we just sat there like and, oh and, man. And you're still married. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, yeah, that, it was, that would be challenging after that. <laughs> it was it was a tough one. It was a tough it was a tough one. And that would have been, you know, judging by the fish, that would have been like, Mike, I guess I have one. That was just that 50, but I think that fish was bigger. And surprisingly, I was not that upset with him. It was, I mean, it was an honest, it was a mechanical failure. And, you know, he was trying to help and it just didn't work out. <laughs> so now I, I, I actually, now I, I put my drag all the way down as tight as I possibly can. And then I just have to thumb it. Um, that's just how I found that it works best with those reels, but... It was, yeah, it was a sad day. <laughs> Very sad. So I got two stories for you, Sarah. One is uh, we were flossing on the Kenai River up in Alaska when I lived up there with my wife, and she hooked into a king, and that's that's not uncommon, but it's not super common. And mm-hmm. We never got to see the fish. It took her all the way out to the backing, but I could still to this day remember we're, we're trying to work downstream and get out of all the combat fishermen, and she's sure. screaming at me, the drag's not tight and the drag's not tight. <laughs> so I finally took her rod out of her hands and checked it, and the drag was all the way tight, just told her <laughs> to start thumbing it, right? Oh, but, wow, yeah. yeah that, that king took her down the stream and down and I mean 250 yards or so of backing on that and it, it came off and straightened the hook wow. actually is what it did but oh, I have wow. video evidence on that same river of me catching well yes I, I did catch my my biggest king but she uh, immediately released it in the net <laughs> and it never made it in the boat and we still married but I, I, uh-huh. I remember that so yes. I, I feel your pain yes. Sarah the struggle is <laughs> yes. real yes it is it is you know it is with her. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've learned, uh, I will mess with my own drag. You stay away from me. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you, it makes you a better angler. It absolutely makes you a better angler. So oh, you have to go through some of that heartbreak. But I was like, why couldn't it have been on a 25 inch fish or a 38 inch fish? Oh, why couldn't it have been on a small one? Because no. that's <laughs> not how it works. That's never uh, how no. it works. It's always the monster. <laughs> it's yeah, always a heartbreaker. Exactly. It is. Uh, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I like this question too. We like to ask our guests, you know, if you could eat, you know, any kind of fish, you know, what, what kind of fish would you eat and how would you prepare it? Oh, uh, yeah. Good question. Um, I love, I love fish and I love like all types, all types of fish. So, but, uh, walleye is probably, I mean, walleye is so good. Um, walleye and crappie are the two that we tend to keep when we're going to eat a fish fry. And, um, Tyler actually prepares the fish and he makes his own seasoning and then he, he pan fries everything and he does a phenomenal job so I'd have to say pan fried by Tyler I can't even order fish in a restaurant anymore because I'm spoiled by how well he makes fish we just call them fish fingers you know he just cuts them up kind of like in strips and they're delicious our, our child loves them and she's the pickiest eater ever on the planet and she loves walleye strips so that's what I have to go with so you had listed this other thing that I'd never heard of in my life <laughs> you had mentioned that your favorite outdoor food is a pudgy pie, and I had no clue what that was. And so you had to explain it to me. <laughs> this, so now this you, sounds pretty good. Patrick. <laughs> now you get to explain it to everybody else. So what's a yeah. pudgy pie? So it, maybe it's a Wisconsin term. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's so the, the cast iron. It's a cast iron cooker that you use over like a campfire, um, and it's just two squares, cast iron squares, and you put a piece of bread in it, and um, you butter the out the cast iron and put your bread in it and then you build whatever you want so like pizza is a, i love pizza pudgy pie so you know you get pizza sauce your cheese and then um jalapenos and pepperoni or you can get little sausages or however you want to doctor up your pizza and then you just put another piece of bread on it and then you connect the cast iron pieces and flip them shut and then you just cook it over the fire and now uh, you can make dessert pudgy pies you can make ham and cheese you can make grilled cheese so it's they're they're really simple and easy and they're absolutely delicious so Sounds that delicious. That is definitely my favorite, yeah. And I haven't had dinner yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm torturing you, yeah. Uh, you also mentioned liking grouse, so tell us how you guys prepare mm-hmm. your grouse. Uh, that's another, uh, basically we do strips and um, pan fry. Um, Tyler does the pan frying with like, kind of the same seasoning he does with walleye. We've also, we've also actually cooked grouse, um, same like as you would, uh, like a whole, like a Cornish hen or something of that nature, and um, I've cooked them for, so the Canadian Thanksgiving is um, usually, I believe it's the 
first Monday or the second Monday of October. And um, so we've had Canadian Thanksgiving up there with our Canadian employees. And um, so we've gotten grouse and uh, I've cooked them as a whole bird um, as well. So they're just, they're delicious. Grouse are absolutely delicious bird. Um, it's rough grouse are a white meat and then um, spruce grouse are more of a dark meat, kind of like a, a mallard duck or something of that nature, but very, very tender. And so that's how we, that's how we prepare our grouse. You can also do, you know, any, any meat that you, you know, would put in stew or things like that. But that's, that's our favorite strips or, or cooked whole. We like to joke around elk camp that uh, elk hunting is always put on pause when a grouse is spotted and uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's the bird in the hand versus two in the bushes. Hey, we can yep. guarantee that we could have grouse for dinner tonight or we could we could run the risk of maybe getting an elk. So let's put that grouse in the, yeah. I always take my uh, Ziploc lunch sandwich baggie once my sandwich is gone and try and shoot a grouse, you know, after lunch before evening and we'll breast it out out there in the field and put yeah. it in that sandwich baggie and take it back and cook it. We just fry it and butter at elk camp, but oh, I, have a, I, I love it. It's, you know, but I, I want to, you, you intrigued me with the uh, Cornish and you know cooking that on the smoker mm-hmm. maybe that that yeah. might be pretty yeah. good yeah i just put a little like lemon in in it and um, maybe an onion or an apple or something inside and then do a little seasoning and then that's it and cook it yep so you know coming from the guiding world and i got to ask you this question what are you doing as far as fishery sustainability and how are you managing that i mean because obviously you guys own this lodge and you want repeat customers. So you want to mm-hmm. have a better fishery next year than you do this year. So what, what kind right. of things are you involved with and what can you speak to as far as how do we perpetuate that? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, preserving the resource is such a huge thing. And um, that's something that, you know, as a tourist, and, and I'm, I was guilty of it as well when I first first came up or first started fishing that, you know, you don't, you don't realize how long it takes for a fish to get to eater size or, or a big fish, how long it takes them to get to that size. And so education is such a big thing. Um, but we actually, so, um, we actually take it one step further and we have lodge rules on size and, uh, we say you can't keep anything over a 19 inch walleye or a 24 inch lake or they have to go back because those are the breeder size. Those are the fish that are going to produce the eggs. And then we have um, a poster in actually every cabin and in our fish cleaning house. And we actually send it out to everybody who books when they book. And it just explains why. You know, it says how many eggs they produce a year and how many of those eggs survive and then how long it takes to grow. Um, because we're talking, you know, we're in Northwest Ontario. We're in, um, it's cold wa- it's cold water. The growing season isn't that long. So it takes fish a long time to get to those big sizes. So we really, we tell people they have to throw those breeder size fish back. And so... We talked about it a little bit on our phone call, but how do you manage doing a show and also manage, you know, keeping your spots safe so that they don't mm-hmm. get pillaged later by somebody else? I mean, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, so, and it's something that, you know, we struggled with how we wanted to talk about it or how we wanted to broach the subject, so to speak. And uh, we found that, you know, just being honest and upfront with people is, is the best. And we talked about it in one of our episodes that, you know, some of the lakes we fish, we come back to Northern Wisconsin um, and fish some of these couple hundred acre lakes. And we just said, you know, you, it's, we're not going to tell you what lake we're on. You can apply the techniques that we're using to your own lake or your own hotspot, or, you know, you know, you just take the season and what we're using. And the reason for that is because you can take a population of fish and decimate it. You could do it in one season. You know, if you tell people what lake you're going to and it's a 400 acre lake, well, it's not just the one person who says, well, I want to, you know, go and fish. It's, it's all these people that are watching the show and then word gets out and, you know, and then it gets out put up on like Lake Link, for example, or, you know, something like that. Well, I heard this is where to go. And then all these people start flooding these bowl launches and, and fishing for these fish. And it just it really takes a hit on the fishery. So we just we just tell people we're not going to tell you what lake we're on you can take and apply these techniques to, you know, we're, we're fishing clear water, we're fishing stained water. So we talk a lot about um, the conditions that we're fishing in and, and what we're fishing so that people can apply it um, elsewhere. It's not just about the spot, but it is, it is a happy balance, especially with, with managing Cliff Lake and wanting people to come back and fish. Um, Cliff Lake is, is deep and clear, so it's a little bit harder to fish. The fish are on the move constantly on our lake. Um, so it's a little bit, it's not as hard to be like, well, this is a good area because, they have to find the spot um, or keep moving. And um, so it's not quite as a concern up there. And like I said, the pressure is not the same on cliff, but, uh, but it's definitely something that you need to address and people need to talk about and need to know why, why, you know, why it takes so long to grow those fisheries or what. And, and, 
you know, to somebody who comes in and takes out their limit of 25 panfish every time they go fishing. Well, you know, and that, that's another controversy too of, well, I only take the males. Well, the males guard the nest in the pan fishing world or the bass world, you know? So if you're not having a male guard the nest or you're taking out those genetics, they're not going to get as big as they were. So, you know, a lot of it is education. Big thing is education. We've talked about that before on the podcast multiple times. And my analogy is I always get a giggle out of Sarah's. There'll be a really big animal harvested up drainage X, right? And the last four years there's been you know, maybe four vehicles a week there. And then, you know, word gets out of where this trophy came from. And all of a sudden there's 25 vehicles parked there the next two years. Uh And and I laugh because in the big game world, you know, you have to have genetics that get to reach maturity and they have to have, you know, kind of a secluded space to do that. And so they're up these drainages that don't have a lot of pressure, right? And all Uh of a sudden, if you go from a place that has an average of four vehicles per week to 20 vehicles per week, it's not going to produce 20 more trophies because there was one taken out of there. It, you right. need to go find, and this is my piece of advice for everybody, is go find the next drainage that only has one car where there should be four. That's where the next trophy is going to come from. Go find the lake right. that should have 20 boats on it, but has none. That's where you're going to find right. that next big fish. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I tell people that the way I kind of redirect people is, you know, it it is more satisfying if you find the spot yourself. It really truly is. And um, there's so many lakes. So there's so, you know, there's such great fisheries and, you know, you just need to take a little time and, and you'll find it and then you'll be that much more proud of yourself. So that's kind of how I try to redirect that. But it is, it is tough. And, and it is in, like we talked about, you know, the instant gratification and the instant media that can go out there and the instant content in a world where, you know, somebody who doesn't know something puts something up because a buddy told them where to go. And then all of a sudden that spot is, has so many cars and so many vehicles going and it's like, oh, oops. Well, I heard so a story about a, uh, a kid that was trapping foxes and an old man came and showed him on his farm where to trap foxes and every year he you know produced just a a bumper crop of phenomenal fox furs right well the farm got sold and he moved and the kid couldn't trap fox anymore and it was because that old man had showed him exactly where on the farm the fox were going to be utilizing right it'd be like taking somebody either elk hunting Mm -hmm. or walleye fishing and showing them the exact points that the walleye are going to be Mm -hmm. on well if you don't take the time to learn why how and and really you know Mm -hmm. perfect the craft and the technique and and learn the species that you're after whether it's bird hunting or fishing or you know big game hunting or anything in between if you don't actually learn the sport and the skills for yourself and you're just kind of relying on other people's wisdom and knowledge i mean it's it's great to get a tip especially somewhere mm-hmm. to start but yeah you know that that old analogy of that guy is like it, it's plain to see that here's this kid for 10 years he he produced yep. some of the best in in the county and then all of a sudden the farm got sold and he had to move and start trapping some new place and he couldn't produce anymore because he yep. hadn't learned the basics yeah yep, exactly that is that's a very good analogy yes very good. Well, and you had put a post up on Facebook recently. I think it was just the other day that you were talking about success. I wanted you to talk about that a little bit, just kind of what it takes to be successful and just some of your thoughts that you put on there. Cause I thought it was very well done. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, um, the quote at the beginning, actually, um, I, I kind of had started these posts and I, I get thoughts down and I put them down. I kind of write them in my phone and then I'll, you know, I'll be like, Oh, I'll tell Tyler like, Oh, I have this idea for this post. And he's like, Oh my gosh, I have the perfect quote. And so he told me the quote at the beginning, he had watched it on a football game and it was like, oh yeah, this, this, this fits, it's perfect. And um, I think right now it's, it's hard. There's so much content out there and there's so many people to follow and to look up to. And, and my goal is I want to try, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40, I'm 40, I'm four years old. And so I have a little bit of life that I've, I've lived. And so, and I look back and I think how dumb I was, you know, in the things that I learned or thought or or perceived, um, you know, in my, my, my twenties. And, um, I want to try to emulate or people, you know, if you want to emulate someone, I want to try to give them something to look up to that good advice or something that will pertain to something. And, um, it's so easy to give up on yourself when you're looking at these social media things of, you know, I'm seeing these people put up big fish or I'm seeing these people constantly put up fish or, or whatever. And I'm just going to give up. And so I think keep showing up is a big thing. You have to keep showing up to get to where you want to be, to be successful. And, it, you know, and it's any, any industry across the board, you can't just give up and you can't think that it's going to be instant gratification because it's not. 
there are so many challenges and so many things that are going to step up along the way. And I, I say life slaps you in the face or you trip and you fall and you have to pick yourself back up. And those are the teaching moments or those are the learning moments that you look back and you're like, okay, I learned something from that or I grew from that. And so that's kind of where my post came from, um, just with, you know, my life experiences and it, things weren't easy and stuff happened. And, um, it's and some of it's embarrassing and it's something you don't want to talk about or something that would embarrass somebody in your family. Or, you know, so you just, you don't talk about some of the, the stepping stones that got you to where you are, but, um, that's kind of the basis for the post and just to keep, keep showing up, keep doing it. And there's always going to be somebody who will keep doing it. And you need to use, either you use it to push yourself to get better or you realize that that's not the path that you want to go on. Um, but that, that was kind of the driving force behind that, that post. And, um, and, and seeing stuff, you know, right now there's such a labor shortage and, um, you know, a lot of the demands for, um, you know, minimum wage and things like that. And, and um, just people wanted, and I, I don't mean to take away from there are some legitimate reasons for all of that. And I don't want to take away from that, but, you know, people want to see things handed to them or, or some things come easy. And it's not, life isn't easy. And anything that is worth having or, or worth getting to is not easy. And that's what makes you appreciate it all the more. Well, I can speak to that. And, you know, just in my little business now that I get to manage people and I never thought I'd be there, you know, but part of that just pushing forward and just striving forward and creating something, you know, you, you work hard for it. But now that I'm in a position of, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, taking these hats off and passing responsibility, you know, hopefully you get to where you have a, an assistant guide and you have that many bear hunters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I have two people here in this, in this building working for me and one gets done and pulls out their phone and starts texting their buddy and the other one goes over and picks the trash can up and picks the broom up and starts sweeping without being asked. The one that's mm-hmm. taking the trash out and sweeping and finding extra work to be done, not to stay busy, but to actually, you know, strive to produce a better quality product for whoever. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's the one I'm going to pay more. That's the one I'm going to give that money to. If I automatically, as a business owner, am forced to to pay more money to the one that's pulling his phone out or her phone out and wasting yeah. my time, I mean, it just, it, it drags down my whole business. So, you know, speaking of all that and your positivity, what's next on the horizon? What, what's the next big plan and next big steps? Oh, um, wow. Uh, good question. I don't know. Um, so we, uh, we are starting our, our new season, um, to be airing our, our new season starts airing at December 4th. So then, um, hopefully the ice will hit and we will start filming for our next year. And my role in sportsman's journal is kind of growing and changing. Um, Tyler, you know, when we, like I talked about when we initially took over, um, Tyler was going to be the star of the show, um, the knowledge and, and all of that. And, and, um, you know, tables are turning and, and I'm actually getting the opportunity to take more of it on my plate as far as like the fishing aspect of it. And Tyler's taking on a lot of editing and the producing. And, um, so there's definitely going to be me, me, more of me in front of the camera without Tyler as, as this year progresses as we film. So I think that's a big step for me. And it just, it's a big step for me to boost my confidence and tell myself like, yep, I can do it. And, and to show other people, you can do it no matter where you started from. You just have to step outside that box. And, um, so that's a big thing. And I'm, I'm doing um, some seminars and um, I haven't done any fishing seminars yet, um, mainly because of COVID, but um, so be doing more seminars. And so those are all, those are all big things in my mind coming up. So, so where do people <laughs> get, a, get, get more information or get to watch the show? Tell us a little bit about how they can do and get a hold of the show. Sure. So, well, our, so our website is sportsmansjournaltv.com um, and that has a lot of information on it. And then I'll have um, some kind of some our appearances and, uh, we have our channels, but we're on Valley Sports North and Valley Sports Wisconsin, um, which is local here in the Wisconsin, Minnesota area. Um, and then we're also on the Pursuit Channel. Um, and uh, Pursuit Ch- Channel airs nationwide. Um, and then uh, we our first our first airing will be, I believe, the week of November 28th. I think is the, week, um, the weekend is December 4th. And then uh, everything will go up on our YouTube page uh, the Sunday after it airs on Valley. So Sunday is when it goes up on our YouTube page. So you can catch us on our YouTube channel. Um, and then also if you have a Roku device, um, there's a channel called KOTV. Um, it's a free download and they have um, Sportsman's Journal and you can watch past episodes as well on there and, and other fishing shows as, as well. He's trying to get that built up for just uh, mainly fishing and hunting shows on this, this free app. Um, so that's a cool, cool way to watch as well. So definitely different ways to watch. Um, and then our social channels, um, Sportsman's Journal TV for Facebook and Instagram. And then I have my own 
I mean, just Sarah Trampy, the real Sarah Trampy on Instagram. Like, that's where I post a lot of the, the inspirational stuff or the, the challenging stuff. Um, the Sportsman's Journal TV is more of the technique and what we're using and how to use it type of thing. That's great. I, I'm excited about the Roku thing because my kids love the Roku. And so we're going to have to try that out and check out the oh, show. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Um, yeah. So we're going to kind of wrap this thing up, but uh, we got to talk about one of our other sponsors and one of my favorite sponsors because it relates hey, no. to food. <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> no, does. no offense. I like, I like <laughs> high mountain seasoning and Hans Hummel. Oh man, they're great folks. I was over there today and I was picking up some buckboard baking cure because I've got some meat to cure from the hogs this year. And so it's going to be bacon and ham season at the Edwards house, which is always a good time. Mm-hmm. We were over there picking up their mesquite jerky mix for all that jerky we made and we used antelope and it is everybody I've given some to says it's delicious. So, you know, that wives tale of antelope's not good to eat. Well, uh, it's going pretty quick. That's all right. You know, everybody can leave the antelope tags alone. We'll take them and we'll eat the antelope. So, you know, it's all, it's all good for us, but, uh, go check out high mountain seasonings, uh, the great family, great group of people that run that. I mean, we, David and I have the pleasure of getting to know the people that actually work there and it's a great group of people and the product is amazing. So if you're cooking, you know, domestic wild or you know, fowl from the air or fish. I mean, if you have a source of protein, they have a seasoning to complement it, period. Absolutely. So go to HIMTNJerky.com. Again, HIMTNJerky.com. And Sarah, it's been awesome having you on the show. It's been a pleasure. I'm so glad we got to meet you. Hopefully one of these days you'll come out to Wyoming, do the Yellowstone (laughs) trip with the family and stop by Bow Spider and Radcast. Yes, that is awesome. Yeah. Thank you both for having me and, and taking the time and it was, it was great to talk with both of you as well. All right. So that wraps it up for another episode of Ragcast Outdoors. David, if people want to follow us, how do they do that? Uh, we're on all the socials and you definitely want to not forget about Radcast Outdoors Nation. You can ask to uh, join that private group. We share some insider tips and tricks there all the time. Facebook, Instagram, and the website. Yep. And so if you get a chance, please download our episodes. That's how we get credit for you listening to them. Subscribe and share with your friends. Definitely share with your friends. All right. Till next time.